Richard Yems joins me in episode 51. Richard hails from Norway with its many blues clubs demonstrating how popular the music is there. Richard is a real student of the blues and the place of the harmonica within it. And he is involved in archiving music at the National Library in Norway. Richard has incorporated pre-war styles into his contemporary approach to playing the harmonica, where he covers multiple genres, including Nordic folk music. A big exponent of different tunings, Richard likes to pick the tuning that works best for a particular recording. He has released three acoustic albums with a pianist, two electric blues albums, and will soon be releasing some of his field recordings from his extensive YouTube channel. Hello, Richard Yems, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, Neil. Thank you. A pleasure to have you on, and you're talking to us from Norway today. So, how did you get into the harmonica and, and the blues and uh, everything else you play up in Norway? Well, I got into the blues when I was like 13 years old. I had this music teacher that played a lot of blues recordings for us, actually. And he played stuff like Blind Willie Johnson and Sonny Terry and Brown Mackey and uh, John Lee Williamson. And there was something about the sound of the harmonica that really got to me. And I still, more than 30 years after, I don't have any rational explanation for why. But it seems to be a, you know, a thing among a lot of Norwegians because Norway is uh, actually famous for having almost like 80 blues clubs in a country with only 5 million inhabitants. So the blues is pretty big up here. And uh, what really got me into it was, uh, it was the sound of the harmonica. And it just spoke to me in a way. Paul Butterfield used to call the harmonica the, the heart's horn or something like that. And uh, I think it's that kind of vocal quality that you can get out to, uh, of a harmonica that, that I really felt for. Yeah, great. And so are you, are you one of the long list of people who were first inspired by Sonny Terry then, by the sounds of it? I'm born in 1976. I'm probably too young for that, actually. But in a way, I am. Because, you know, Sonny Terry played, I think it was something of the last, probably last session he did, was playing on that uh, Crossroads soundtrack. So in the blues revival thing at the beginning of the 90s, he kind of had this stamp on soundtracks and so on. It was kind of hard not to bump into Sonny's uh, playing in a way. But of course, he influenced a whole generation of players back in the 70s that got to hang with Sonny and he see him play live. He actually played in Norway too in the 70s, so a few times. So yeah, he was one of the, the, the big inspirations and actually John Lee Williamson. So yeah, so getting back to Norway and, and the big blues scene there, as you say, 80 blues clubs, it's it's amazing, isn't it? And it's the same with me. I grew up in the northwest of England and we had a couple of blues festivals there which went on each year and that was quite a big inspiration for me. So it's interesting, isn't it, how the blues has popped up in all these different places a long way from the US and uh, you know has gone on to inspire lots of people to play it around the world. Yeah, I think it's fascinating. And at the same time, being a cultural historian from the University of Oslo, I tend to analyze why I got into the blues and you know what is the blues and why do we play blues and is it <laughs> do I have the right to play the blues and so on you know if you don't ask these questions it's kind of strange playing the blues uh, especially being a, a music based on the Afro-American experience of suffering racism and so on you know you have to reflect on that stuff I think in a sincere way uh, and that raises a lot of questions around why the blues and what attracts you to the blues 
I think it's important to think about the blues as a idiomatic tradition, a way of going into the, the act of making music based on timing, texture, and tonality. It's quite like when we talk about jazz today, it can be anything of improvised music. It doesn't have to be the traditional jazz thing. But if you talk about blues, everybody associates it with a specific period and with a specific 12-bar format and so on. But I also think there's some <laughs> inherent qualities in in the playing of the great blues masters and of, of blues music per se, which is based on this idiomatical stuff, which is connected to, you know, the way you use your timing, the ways you use your tonal qualities and the, the, the way you use, you know, texture and chords and so on. And I think for me, being a blues musician from Norway, I played with quite a few traditional Afro-American blues musicians. And I think the most important thing there has been that you got the idiomatically, I wouldn't call it correct, but idiomatically deep way of playing under your skin. I think that aspect of making blues music is really important, and I think it's oftenly under-communicated when we talk about the blues. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's not just people who play the blues that it connects with. Like you say, there's 80 blues clubs in Norway, and you know, blues gigs still happen all around the world, so there's something that connects with the audience as well, isn't it? That, that raw motion of the blues. Absolutely. And I, I really don't believe in these clear-cut genres or boxes of uh, using different categories, so to speak. I more believe that playing music is a messy network of different connections and different kind of views and perspective. You know, the blues that has been played around the globe the last 20, 30 years is something quite different than the, the original blues that was played back in vaudeville clubs in the early 20s. It's, it's something is really different when it comes to meaning and context. But there's some simil- similarities too when it comes to the way of playing and the way of using timing, tonality uh, and so on. So you mentioned there your, your, your cultural history and you've done some archive work, haven't you, about researching into the blues and harmonica history. So yeah, maybe tell us a little bit more about that. Well, uh, uh, I have been working at the National Library in Norway for uh, 15 years now with archiving and, and collecting Norwegian music uh, in different genres, mainly so-called popular music, whatever that is. <laughs> when it comes to playing uh, uh, harmonica, I come from the, you know, the blues tradition, but after a while you also get interested in the traditional way of playing harmonica in the Scandinavian countries. And you dabble a little bit into that. I would not say in any way that I'm an expert in in that aspect of harmonica playing, but I find it quite fascinating. Also because there's some similarities between the traditional blues harp tradition and there's some differences, especially when it comes to the use of diatonic harmonicas compared to using tremolo harmonicas, the whole repertoire playing waltzes and Scottish songs and so on based on uh, 1-3 time patterns and so on. So there's some different there. But at the same time, if you listen to archival recordings of Scandinavian harmonica music, all of them play tongue block. You have this polyrhythmic thing going on. You have this use of double stops and use of intervals that are quite similar to players like D for Bailey. So I think it's fascinating to listen to to this stuff. 
I tend to take a little bit from uh, this tradition, a little bit from that tradition, and so on. After a while, I'll dabble into something else. So, so I'm kind of like um, I'm a little bit over everywhere, and I like also to listen to you know contemporary stuff too. I think uh, that's a fascinating thing about an instrument like the harmonica, where you have this hundred years of recorded history. There's a lot of things that you can get into, and it, it never stops. <laughs> Do you have some sort of material available in in the library there in Norway, or is there some anything on? Online, anything like that? The National Library of Norway has uh, actually a streaming service for Shellac 78 records, all Norwegian 78 records until 1958, which was the last year of the Shellac record before you had uh, vinyl records, uh, can be listened to from uh, Norwegian IP addresses. But when it comes to harmonica, there was uh, very few commercial recordings with harmonica. There were some uh, harmonica orchestra in Bergen, town in Norway, and that's about it when it comes to <laughs> harmonica instrumentals or harmonica music. The, the other things, archival recordings done in the mainly 50s, 60s and 70s with, with the tape recorders. And some of that stuff are released on compilations together with accordion music because, you know, those repertoires are very closely connected. There, there's uh, more stuff to be released there in the future. So going back to your, you know, you're getting started, you say you, you had a teacher at the age of 13 and you started then getting into the harmonica. Was the harmonica your first instrument? No, piano was my first instrument. I was a very lazy piano student. We played the simple version of the classical pieces and I never rehearsed and I was a lousy uh, sheet music reader, but I had a good ear so I could kind of, you know, improvise and get away with it. So I started out on piano and I think that's a big advantage uh, when it comes to playing harmonica later on because it's very easy when you play piano to visualize the different intervals, uh, the different keys and tunings. So I think... uh, uh, you know, learning all the positions and so on, being a piano player, I think that's uh, a really good thing. And I think some of that way of thinking is also reflected in a lot of, you know, Howard Lev instru- instructional videos and so on. He's all, yeah. he's a, not to compare me to Howard by any means, but he's a fantastic piano player too. And that really helps giving you a good foundation, I think. So I would recommend everyone to be a, a lazy piano student. Or <laughs> So piano, and, and you also play other instruments, which you still play now, yeah? So you play some, some pretty good guitar, uh, and we'll get on to I've heard you also play some pretty good um, blues mandolin as well on the on, on YouTube yeah I, uh, I've been dabbling a bit with the blues mandolin too I love that whole blues mandolin tradition if you can call it a tradition so I've been you know listening to guys like Johnny Young or Yank Rachel and a lot of those mandolinists they also played with a lot of good harp players John Lee Williamson or Big Walter Hort so they're kind of connected the mandolin and the harmonica so you play as well guitar you know sorry when did you start picking at the guitar and you know is that something you've you know incorporated into your playing or yeah i think i started playing guitar when i was like 15 years old or something i took some guitar lessons but uh, <laughs> the competition was so hard on in, on the local music scene on the guitar part so i <laughs> stuck with a harp because that made me stand out in a way at the same time you know getting individual signature on the blues guitar is pretty hard it's very hard it's hard on the harmonica too but i found it easier on the harp finding my own voice in a way so it it spoke to me in another way than the and then the guitar did back then. But I've been I've been playing uh, a lot of guitar too. But uh, if you ask me, my, my primary instrument is of course harmonica. But I would recommend everyone to play different instruments because it feeds back on your harmonica playing. So you can you know play guitar for a month and don't pick up the harp. And next time you're out playing, you have some new ideas or you know some new things that you get from your guitar playing or mandolin playing for that sake. 
And I would recommend all harmonica players that play, you know, traditional Chicago blues to study the guitar playing of a guy like Robert Lockwood Jr. that plays on a lot of classic Little Walter recordings. Really good at backing up harp players. I'll be studying with his stuff for a while. And he gives me a different understanding of that whole concept of ensemble interplay. That is the definition of good Chicago blues in my ears, which I think a lot of people tend to forget sometimes. I, I went to Chicago like eight years ago. When to this club and I heard I think I heard Willie Buck with with uh, Billy Flynn on guitar and I had Martin Lang which is a great harp player playing harp there and when I heard those guys playing it kind of stuck me that you know I, I can't play Chicago blues <laughs> not the way they play you know the the way of playing it in a in ensemble where they all have these interlocking parts that are so connected to each other uh, and where the harp player doesn't play like, for example a specific kind of turnaround because the guitar player plays the turnaround and they, they have these parts that really fit together in a very 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 nice way to play that kind of music just like playing Dixieland or something I think it's important to understand the role that the different instruments that, that they have in the whole context so to speak so. Yeah, and one thing definitely picked up from you is you did some very nice rack playing. You're playing some some Jimmy Reed that I saw you playing on on YouTube. You know, what about you know touching on playing harmonica on the rack? Is that something you do a lot? I've been playing harmonica in rack while playing guitar for 10, 15 years or something, but I, I didn't do it for many, many years because I, I just focused on my harmonica playing for a while. And uh, now during the pandemic and the lockdown and so on, I haven't had that many gigs. I bought myself a new rack and I started playing harmonica and guitar again. My take on that is that the coordination between your hands and the harmonica playing just needs a lot of practicing because there can be playing these uh, tremolo patterns on the harp that you use a lot in, in the blues for example something like something like that while playing the guitar da, 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 da. <laughs> it's quite hard <laughs> it's like playing boogie boogie piano you know you do one thing in your right hand rhythmically and another thing in your left hand and sometimes you're to make these uh, neural patterns in your brain it takes really a while so i've been working on that singing as well uh while, while she's doing that so uh, some good vocals as well so is is vocals is something you've always done and, and worked on mainly i've been an instrumentalist but uh i played in a band called we actually had a reunion last year called jb and the delta jukes like 20 years ago and i just forced myself to start singing it gave me new opportunities in the context of that band I think a lot of harp players, they sing because getting a gig as a purely harp player is not that easy, especially if you play the blues uh, and so on. But at the same time, you know, singing is, um, it takes really a while to get comfortable with your own voice, especially when you hear it on record. 
I've been working on my singing the last two or three years, and uh, now I'm I'm feeling more comfortable with it than I used to because I think it's all about being relaxed and being focused at the same time, like singing traditional blues without trying to mimic the classical singers, which has quite a different resonance and different. You, you can never touch that stuff anyway, you know. I sing and I, I'm more comfortable with it than I used to be, but uh, I don't think I will be as comfortable as a vocalist as as uh, as I am. As a harp player. Yeah, I'm working on it. Now, strange love, the cutest thing I ever seen. You remind me of something, something seen all in the dream. You know, and again, just finishing off this topic of playing on the harmonica on a rack, obviously it's a bit different. You know, you're not holding it. You don't have the same sort of control. But I mean, what do you see about the advantages of doing it and maybe, you know, going out as a solo artist and, you know, being able to take all the money yourself, etc. You know, is that something you'd want to push with or, or do you prefer playing in an ensemble, you know, just, just doing the role of the harmonica player? For me, one of the big advantages of playing harmonica in rack is that it makes you focus on the bare essentials of the song of the bare essentials of playing the blues you you can't play all the triplets and you can't play all the ornaments that you tend to put in when you're playing with a whole band and it kind of makes you focus on the song instead of focus on your ego which i think can be a problem because when you get to a certain level playing harmonica if you are uh, in the widest kind of context good then a lot of people that start up playing the blues they start going down this path of being more and more flamboyant doing technical difficult stuff and so on that that's you know natural challenging yourself i've done that myself you know trying to play charlie parker lines uh, jason rich stuff and uh, which i really respect all that kind of stuff but i think it's good also to you know try to connect with in another way when you play harmonica in rec when it's more it's a it's a part of the whole context especially appreciate good harmonica playing in rec when i listen to artists like uh, ray bonwell Canadian singer-songwriter that uses the, the harmonica in a very kind of, you know, bluesy way on his songs, which really add texture to the whole expression. Playing harmonica in rack has made me a better harmonica player, but I'm not playing in rack because I tend more to focus on playing the melody properly, getting my points across and let the music in itself speak more than my ego. I think something that attracts people to the harmonica and that attract probably attracted me to the harmonica when I started out playing is this kind of poetic human voice-like quality to the instrument. This casualness, this kind of, you know, romantic sound when you end up playing bebop in 12th or 11th position with a lot of overblows, that kind of stuff, that aspect of a harmonica <laughs> evaporates in a way. It gets in the background. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think a way of connecting to that primal quality of the harmonica, like the sound of John Mayle's harmonica playing, which is really, in a way, in a good way, simple, but that really connects with people. The way of getting back to that quality is by playing, for me, uh, harmonica in rack, because uh, then I have to, you know, focus on that in a minimalistic way. And uh, you mentioned earlier on that, you you know, you like to play different genres, as lots of us do, but, you know, you do too. But one thing you've done and 
obviously you you're a Scandinavian is you know you play some Nordic folk music so there's an example of a song on one of your albums called uh, help me with the pronunciation Minis Jolin is it which is a Norwegian <laughs> uh, a Norwegian folk song I think from the 17th century uh, that's uh, the pronunciation is quite good actually it's Midis Jolin which is actually from uh, the part of Norway the south eastern part of Norway which I'm, I'm from originally which was uh, uh, had a lot of immigrants from Finland coming over in the 17th century it's Finnish Norwegian folk music so to speak uh, and a lot of it had this kind of minor quality that suits uh, harmonic or, or natural minor harmonica really well. So uh, with a good friend of mine and a great musician, Tor Einar Becken, I've been working with some songs in that idiom on our, I think we have three records out. I didn't have any reference there. There was not a lot of harmonica playing or nothing uh, f- from that part of Norway that I'd found. A lot of accordion playing, though. I, I came up with my own um, expression based on a fusion between traditional blues harmonica playing and more hybrid Norwegian-Finnish folk music. Because the traditional harmonica playing in, in Norway has been more, you know, focusing on the repertoire the accordion players played from the late 19th century, which is more like the German uh, marches, waltzes, dance numbers and so on, you know, like... And so on. While uh, this... Finnish Norwegian music, folk music that we made dabbling with, has more uh, melodic side to it, which suits second position blues-based harmonica better. So, yeah, so we'll get onto the albums you mentioned there with the pianist, Tor Eina Becken, is it? Yeah. Yeah, so you've done, you've done three albums with him. So uh, an album in 2009, Songs from a Forest. Two first ones are, are instrumental albums. So quite, quite a nice mixture on there. So um, picking out a few of the songs, you know, the, the Forest Song, which is a sort of title track from the album, is that played on a chromatic? That is played on a chromatic. How much chromatic do you play then? You know, I used to play uh, quite a lot of chromatic. When I was 18 years old, I got my driver license, mainly to drive to a big blues festival in Nordodden in Norway, because Charlie Musselbite, he was playing there. So I got my driver license the same day as I drove to Nordodden, I think. <laughs> and uh, I heard Charlie playing with his band. This was back in 94. And he played chromatic on quite a few songs, and also in different uh, keys and positions. After that, I really got into chromatic and George Smith and Rod Piazza and Larry Adler and mm-hmm. but these days or the last 10 15 years I've been playing less and less chromatic because for me I think it's it's difficult to have good embouchure on both chromatic and diatonic at the same time and I prefer the sound the tone of the diatonic harmonic I'm not so fond of the wolvey sound or the, the sound of wolves but uh, that that's just my take on it so I uh, have been working more on different diatonic tunings than playing uh, the chromatic but sometimes there's some studio gig or some passage that's impossible to play legato and with a good tone. (laughs) 
Yeah, so this album is, you know, let's say 2009 to 12 years ago. So there are a few songs on Chromatica, and you play Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, which is a, a classic Charlie Mingus um, jazz song. Is jazz still something you're playing? And now are you attempting that more in the diatonic than the chromatic? I don't play jazz that much, but I listen a lot to jazz and it blends into all my playing. And I, I have so much respect for playing jazz that I, I, am, I don't like to call myself a jazz musician or jazz player, but I listen a lot to especially pre-war blues. You know, if you listen to like Bessie Smith or you listen to Eddie Lang or Lonnie Johnson, this blurry line between blues and jazz and uh, that I really like. I also really like Django Reinhardt, a lot of string swing music and I also tend to like the romantic Gershwin stuff with Larry Adler. So I, I pick up a lot of motives and riffs and ideas uh, listening to that uh, stuff, but I don't, I don't play jazz standards that um, No, not too much now. Yeah, cool. And another song on there which uh, I picked out was um, Blues for Birdhead. Some nice, tasteful, high-end playing. I really got interested in why Lil Walter is such a iconic harmonica player in that way that there's almost no harmonica player on earth today that in some way is not influenced by Walter or, you know, doesn't sound like him. I really got into this pre-war compilation to listen to, you know, the harp players before Walter to study, you know, that stuff. And then I got into Blues Birdhead as one of the, you know, more jazzy, bluesy pre-war first position players. And a guy like Rhythm Willie, which I actually think yeah. was from Chicago or around Chicago, that Little Walter really uh, respected, according to, to Dave Myers in some interview way back. So uh, those songs that I recorded them, uh, they're kind of like a, you know, a homage to, to that tradition and, and those those players. And then and then your next album with, with the piano player, Beckham, is called Slaveryette, is it? Which I believe means slavery. So this is just the, the you know, you're alluding to earlier on, the, you know, the history of Africa. American blues music. There's a double link there because uh, uh, this is also recorded in Castle in the eastern part of Norway in the city of Kongsvinger. Recording facility used to be uh, a prison for uh, military or war prisoners that they called the slave the slavery in Norwegian. <laughs> so that also gave allusion to the title there. So there's a you know double meaning, yeah, absolutely. And we play a lot of Afro-American traditional music on that record, mixed with uh, with Norwegian songs. Yeah, I was going to make that point. There's, there's absolutely that mixture with Norwegian songs with various, about half the title is having uh, in Norwegian and half of them in sort of English slash American. You do House of the Rising Sun on there and you do Battle Hymn of the Republic. You know, what made you choose the, that uh, American song? I think I heard Battle Hymn of the Republic on uh, a recording with the flute player Herbie Mann uh, from the 60s or something. And I found it quite peculiar that he did a version of that. And then suddenly it just struck me as, you know, it would be interesting to see if you can do a take on that. And with Tura and I playing in that constellation with him, which is very open, very free. Mm-hmm. 
it works in the context playing with him we, because we're this uh, duo where I'm playing the harmonica and he's playing the grand piano usually and he's really good at taking a song and developing the harmonical uh, aspect of the song with his deep knowledge of chords which kind of makes all these different songs connect in a way both harmonically um, and also in the form of rhythm and also in the form of the harmonica as a semi-human voice so to speak so i think our records are also part of showing that traditional music or you know folk music in general it's like louis armstrong said folk music i never heard a horse sing a song you know to show that this music connects in a way you know there's some connection there because i think people today are so into talking about difference and what difference and what they dislike and so on and we are more into talking about what we like and all the similarities you can see between things absolutely and i'm picking out some of the norwegian songs there's quite a gentle feel with this which is that nice combination of piano and harmonica isn't it which comes out you do uh tiger vansen what what does that one translate to tiger swanson uh, that means the tale of the tiger which is actually a reference to mm-hmm. manual saw they used for cutting timber in the woods so it's based on that kind of rhythm they used when they Uh cut down the trees like 150 years ago And you've also got a classical piece on this. Is it Vugasang, is it? Which is it's his cradle song, is it? Yeah, it's the Brahms cradle song, which we picked out because we saw a cartoon, I think, the night before with that song, Tom and Jerry or something like that. And I said, it's actually a very nice song. And they said, well, let's record it because it's been done to death or it's done many times, but we don't care. We just want to do our take of it. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so quite a mixture on this album then. Lots of different uh, genres on there, as you say, some definitely blues, some jazz, some Norwegian, some classical. We, we, we have played quite a really big blues festivals uh, together, Turana and I, and jazz festivals, and we played the Royal Albert Hall together, actually, oh, two years cool. ago. I remember when we came out on this big blues festival and we were going to play, and we started out with a number famous Swedish accordion player. He's like Carl Jularbo. He's like the biggest traditional accordion player in Scandinavia ever. And we started out with Jularbo, and you can hear a gasp going through the audience. You know, <laughs> all these blues people, they were freaked out. They're playing Jularbo, and they lost their mind. But we did our kind of bluesified version of it, and everyone really dug it after a while. And when you're playing within that setup, what's the usual lineup? Very simple. It's just the grand piano or, or upright acoustic piano. Turainar also sings sometimes. And I play acoustic harmonica. And I have a suitcase full of the harmonicas in different tunings. And uh, I also use the harp wah by Roly Platt. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really love that for this acoustic stuff. And the, the, we never, I never use distorted harmonica or amplified harmonica for this concept. So it's very straightforward and easy in that way. But we work a lot with the arrangements. And I work a lot on using harmonicas in different pitches and tunings, you know, to make things varied and interesting, both for me and the audience for two hours you then uh, would play with another band which is more of a, a full-on blues band which is black room is I think is a blue room yeah yeah this is your amplified sound
got a couple of albums out that I, that I picked out with those guys. Yes, that, that's you know traditional Chicago blues, and that's a guy called Ronnie Jacobson, a very good friend of mine that I started out playing with in blues clubs in Oslo in the late nineties, uh, six or seven years ago. Ronnie said to me, "Ah oh, man, we got to get a band together just to play this traditional stuff because I need to get it out of my system." <laughs> we did uh, two records. One was nominated for Norwegian Grammy, the first one, and we played with that ensemble for two or three years before it dissolved into different projects. It's a good example of me playing, you know, more traditional electric uh, Chicago blues. Yeah, and I really noticed you got really authentic sound, like I got my mojo work. Yes, I, I really love that stuff. It's my deep love for the Chicago harmonica tradition, for Little Walter, for all his recordings. It challenges me to try to do <laughs> other things too, <laughs> because it's you know it's so hard to to it's unsurpassed. It's it's really hard. It's like copying Mona Lisa, the whole expression. So I've been working a lot for years on playing electric Chicago harmonica. With that band, I, I worked a lot on trying to play it idiomatically correct or, or in a fresh way without doing complete mimicry of the uh, originals. My favorites has always been, beside Little Walter, has always been like James Cotton, which I think is, had such a fantastic sound in the late 60s, early 70s, before he started playing just acoustic. Uh, and there's so many great harp players uh, in that tradition. And uh, as I mentioned earlier on, when I went to Chicago uh, some years ago, when I heard guys like Martin Lang playing. Still in that tradition, uh, our Dave Waldman, that are guys that uh, listened to and hung out with guys like Big Leon Brooks uh, in the in the late 70s or late 80s. That were guys that, or, or Little Willie Anderson, that also hung out with Little Walter back in the 60s. There's this kind of, I wouldn't say unbroken tradition, but there's this line there. And I really love that tradition. And I, th- I think it's really challenged to play it in a fresh and, and good way. And another thing you, you, you've done a lot of, and there's plenty to see, is your YouTube channel, which has got um, well over 100 videos of, I think, you playing mostly solo harmonica. Yeah. What about that? And any particular thing you're trying to feature on there? Is it just lots of different styles and different positions? And I have some different you know, conceptual ideas that might be different harmonica tunings, or it might be a you know, song I've been dabbling around with that I really like, or it might be some kind of genre that I'm getting into or tuning or something that I make a YouTube video and I put it out just to force myself to, to, to work on it. It's also very good because I've been getting a lot of feedback from other hard players and people from all around the world that have questions and that have uh, suggestions and so on. So I really like that interaction aspect of the social media. And I think the harmonica community is really healthy in a way because it's very constructive and positive. That's been the, the main drive be- behind that uh, YouTube channel. And <laughs> I got in touch with a record company, Norwegian record company, this year called Apollon, because I did some sessions uh, with on one of their uh, rock and roll records. And then they listened to my YouTube channel and I said, oh, we want to release your field recordings. I said, are you kidding me? And I said, no, no, we want to do a full album based on your YouTube session. So uh, I'm actually releasing an album with, I think it's 15 of those YouTube recordings next year actually on on cd and vinyl as well as streaming 
Excellent. And they're the recording straight from the YouTube videos rather than, you know, you're not re-recording them. No, they're based on the YouTube videos and they're based on compressed files I have on my Samsung telephone. But we have been working a bit with the mixing and mastering of them and adding a bit of reverb and doming, doing something with them, you know. Superb. So you're getting a solo harmonica album coming out on the back of this. That's great. Yeah. The, uh, and uh, for uh, this album coming up next year, which I think is called actually the YouTube Sessions, it's a I know almost all the tracks, I think, but I also have a one mandolin track there uh, on the mandolin and some tracks where I only play guitar and sing too. So it's a little bit of everything and some harmonica instrumentals. I just, uh, I like to mix it up to make it interesting. I think they say it's a great medium, that YouTube channels, isn't it? And yeah, great to see you. You, know, you can just go and do your own thing, can't you? Which is brilliant. You know, <laughs> just whatever you want to do, you put a video out. Before you put a video out, do you agonize about kind of make it as perfect as you can or, you know, or do you just kind of record it once and then put it out there? Uh, sometimes I just had this urge to get it out of the system or to just play it. And then uh, I can see that the, the video angle is not that good or it's not could have done more, uh, done a better filming or a better sound recording. But I still put it out because I like the, you know, the feeling of the take. I like to have them as like your spontaneous field recordings, so uh, I don't do too much with them. Yeah, so brilliant. And um, you played with uh, you know with various people as well, and uh, quite you know lots of session work. You played with quite a notable Norwegian musicians, haven't you? Denor Albrigsten, is it? Yeah, he's a famous Norwegian country singer or folk musician. And I, I played with Steinlight uh, in his regular band for like three or four years when I was doing my master thesis. And we had a lot of gigs uh, and traveled around playing his music, which is a blend of country music, jazz, rock and roll, pop, everything. And I learned a lot of playing with him. I had to find out how to use the harmonica in a good way in different kind of genres and contexts. And I had to dabble with country harmonica tradition with different ways of using the harmonica in in an intelligent musical way. Also listed that you played with a lot of the famous harmonica players, Carlos Tohunko and, you know, Mark Hummel and, uh, you know, various other blues musicians as well. Uh, how did you meet up with these guys? In the late 90s, early 2000s, there was this blues club in Oslo called Muddy Waters Blues Club. And uh, I lived in Oslo as a student. So I used to play in the house band uh, at that club with my good friend, uh, Kid Anderson, which now plays with Rick Esther in the Nightcap. And so I used to play with him and a lot of other very good Norwegian blues musicians backing up artists coming over to Norway. So that was one way of coming in touch with all these people. And uh, when you play at festivals and so on, you meet people and a lot of hard players are really easygoing guys that easy to, to, to get along with. And if they start talking to people, they, like Mark, first time I met Mark Hummel, he said something like, I think I've been talking to Mark for like 20 seconds. And he said, so you play? And I said, yeah, sure. Let me hear. <laughs> and we were standing there at some festival playing Walter's Boogie together or something. That's really bizarre, but it's really sweet too. And that's what makes that harmonica seemed really special. I remember in the early 90s when I first had access to internet, the first thing I did was going into Harp L, <laughs> that famous mailing list for harmonica players. I went to the Harp L archives and I read everything posted there. So and you've done uh, lots of session work as well. You've done uh, various movie soundtracks uh, up in Norway again. And uh, uh, I have to test my Norwegian pronunciation again <laughs> <laughs> with some of these. So, Den Lil Track or Trun Grata. So uh, this is the, the song uh, Goat is Born. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> yeah, that that's uh, a Norwegian uh, composer and musician Lars Hilevold that makes a lot of soundtracks for Norwegian movies, like this series for kids, uh, the little uh, Traktorn Grotas, the little tractor. Uh, what do you call that in English? Old Grey or something like that. It's about a little tractor. He has used harmonica for a lot of these children movies because it suits the soundtrack. So I've been working with him, and I've been also working with Martin Hornqvist from Yaga Yassist, which is an unbelievable musician. He's done a lot of uh, soundtracks for NRK and for different uh, movies and so on. And working on soundtracks is something that I find really exciting. And it's also very good for you as a musician to work with a visual medium, especially when you can come up with new ideas and you can contribute to the whole package of visual and musical expression together. So you learn a lot of doing these soundtracks i have learned a lot by doing it have you made any tv appearances in norway playing the harmonica or any of these things Yes, I've made quite a few TV appearances uh, as a hired gun, mostly, when they need a harmonica part for some kind of live act uh, number. But for the last 10 years, I haven't been doing that kind of work that much. Uh, and I haven't been doing uh, live gigs as much as I used to do, because I had I got, had a daughter 11 years ago. And uh, then, you, of course, you don't have the ability to travel that much. And I have a job at the National Library and so on. So it's been more con- Convenient working in studios with soundtracks and recording than uh, traveling around and, and doing live gigs and things on TV and so on. Uh, one comment on playing on TV is that, uh, or, or doing live shows, broadcasting, is that uh, <laughs> you never know how things are going to sound <laughs> out, how things are going to sound when you play. That's my experience. You know, you really have to be flexible and, and expect anything. <laughs> So and that's also a good thing too. It keeps you on your toes because I think a lot of hard players are very focused on good tone, having their good sound, their favorite amp and their favorite valves and so on and so on. But when uh, push comes to show, it doesn't always matter that much. And uh, when you're playing, doing a, a broadcast or something and you get a terrible monitor sound and they put flanger on your harmonica sound when it comes out in uh, <laughs> on the national TV, you just have to, you know, make the best out of it. And, and kind of make a statement. I think it's a good thing doing gigs like that. Now, so a, a question asked each time, Richard, is the 10-minute question. If you had 10 minutes to practice, what would you spend those 10 minutes doing? I probably would be practicing on different minor tunings, uh, working on uh, material for the next record I'm going to do with Tore Einar Becken, which is inspired by Norwegian and Finnish folk music, but it's uh, mainly based on free-form improvisations. So I, my answer is I would work on different uh, minor tunings and different themes. I don't I, I don't work on playing scales that much. If you ask me what scale are you playing now, I probably couldn't answer. But I really like to work on different tunings to develop different uh, harmonically uh, har- ideas uh, and to practicing on playing you know contrapuntal stuff to use octave double stop uh, and to play around with the same uh, minor theme in different minor tunings, for example, you know to see what kind of suits the songs the best and gives you most opportunities. 
Sure, yeah. So you've, you mentioned a few times as you're, you're interested in playing different positions and different tunings and obviously the minor tunings you just talked about there. So, you know, how do you choose the tuning you go for a particular song? I mean, I take it you've got various harmonicas and different tunings. If my role playing the song is like playing the melody, then I pick the tuning where the melody can be played in a most pleasant <laughs> legato way. That's one very important point. And sometimes my role is to just play chords or to play long, you know, kind of ambient lines that are going to complement the the melody, then I can use a different tuning for that. Maybe not the same tuning as I use for playing the melody. It depends a lot. And it depends on uh, the chord changes and uh, whether I'm going to improvise a big part of the song or a small part of the song or whether I'm just playing the theme. It's stuff like that. For example, you have something like do it tuning, which is like a Dorian minor tuning, like you can play minor third position in that tuning. I have one of those, yeah. <laughs> it's very good for, you know, playing chordal stuff. But if you're going to improvise a long solo for three minutes, then I would probably rather go for playing second position on a natural minor harmonica. <laughs> because I can play with a uh, more fluid and I can play different ideas and so it's it's aspects like that, that that are important for me when I when I consider what harp to use I've been lately using the Dorian second position tuned harmonica which I know the French harmonica player JJ Milto is a really big fan of and I'm a really big fan of him because he's a really clever harmonica player that focuses on uh, the context of the harmonica and the poetic quality of it more than shoving off and he uses this uh, tuning which is a blend of minor and major tuning and i think a tuning like that is uh, very nice to use to come up with new ideas playing in minor second position uh, for example jj milto's a fantastic player i'm a massive yeah. fan of his playing he's really a philosopher of the harmonica i actually think he's very under- underrated and he also managed to come up with something new all the time and reinvent himself all the time he's done some fantastic songs on harmonica yeah i think he's, he's one of the best the best out there yeah <laughs> Yeah, no. So, I mean, what about people who are, you know, reluctant to try different tunings? And, you know, a lot of people stick to the Paddy Richter tuning because, you know, that's the kind of one they know. And, you know, what would you say to that? And how do you adapt to playing different tunings? Obviously, the notes are in different places, yeah? So you've got to do different things. I would suggest that you start out with tuning similar to the standard uh, Richter tuning, which most harp players are used to. And uh, you can start with in major tuning, like Melody Maker, which you can play almost the same pattern in second position that most players are comfortable with. And it's quite easy to adapt to just small changes on the blow uh, three hole and the, the draw five hole. So um, you can start with one or two notes. Just changing one or two notes and yeah, and, and doing it that way, yeah. yeah. But getting into like a tuning like uh, the power bender tuning, for example, where you can bend all... 10 holes or, or in draw on all 10 holes like and you have um, quite <laughs> quite a different note layout especially yeah. when it comes to chords it's playing something like that for blues or so on it it takes a lot of more work at least it did for me you mentioning um brendan powers power bender have you, have you seen his new modular reed harmonica he's just come out with i just read about it i haven't tried it no 
No, I haven't tried it myself, but yeah, I mean that takes this whole this concept of um, you know re- different tunings to a whole new planet, doesn't it? As, as Brendan comes up with, yeah. So yeah, no, I mean he's he's a genius when it comes to harmonica tuning. Yeah, so yeah, really interested about to, to to try that one out. Yeah, I mean, so the idea of people that you aren't aware is that you're able to change any read, yeah. at all because you can individually change the reads, which yeah. means you can have in theory any tuning, and, and then uh, so yeah, an incredible possibilities. But certainly, even just the the fact that you could use it simply just to yeah. change a read that you regularly blow out, but you know, and then the other end of the scale being you can change any read. Yeah, I just want to say I want to say two two things when it comes to alternative harmonica tunings and a genius like Brandon Power. And one is that kind of understanding of different tunings and different concepts, uh, both musically and technically. That Brandon has is really unique. I'm not I'm not in his in the same galaxy. Uh, <laughs> I just have to say that nobody is. <laughs> no, nobody really. And he's such a good player too you know has this this lovely vibrato this lovely touch and everything he does it, it just sounds like brandon power and it's, it's so nice but uh for me personally i think that there's a lot of different harmonica concepts during the years like the xb40 or like these hybrid kind of concepts where you can use bends instead of using a button for the chromatic harmonica or, or using extra valves for like uh, P.T. Gazelle uses for, for his stuff, you know. I, I'm not personally, and this is personally, not so fan of all those concepts because what I like is the sound of the simple diatonic harmonica with a chamber with only two reeds in it. The, you know, resonant sound you get like... <laughs> I really like that sound, that resonance, you know? And if tinkering with a harmonica, it takes away that resonance, that kind of tonal ideal that I have there, then it's not probably for me. And some of the, a lot of alternate tunings, I think it's still possible to play with that sound and it, it suits it very well. Like the uh, power bender, oh, same power bender, where you can play. I really like it because you have this, you know, bluesy quality. You can bend the, the draw on the high, high notes. That's a good thing about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but I really like that. And I'm always curious uh, of what Brendan will come up with when it comes to new concepts. And he seems to come up with them almost every week as well. That's, that's the other thing. But yeah. So you're a sidle endorser, yeah? You've been a sidle endorser since 2009? I am a Seidel endorser. I've been it since 2009. And I really like Seidel because they have, they're such a nice company with a good philosophy. And they always come up with new stuff almost every week. <laughs> and they have, uh, you can order different tunings directly from the factory. Mm-hmm. And they can do things for you that are just in between traditional harmonica uh, production and, and more customization, yeah. you know. So I really love them yeah. for that. And you play the steel reeds yourself then, I take it. I, I do. But at the same time, I use honors also. Uh, I would lie if I don't say that, say that to you. <laughs> and I know you like playing low-tuned harps quite a lot. You mentioned Rory Platt's uh, Harmonica Warrior and you, uh, you do a nice version of the Harmonica yeah. Didgeridoo which with, with the low harp. So what about those low harps? 
I like the low harps because they uh, tend to sound like a different instrument. They give you another, of course, they, they're one octave lower and they make you, they force you to play in a different way often because you can't play the same kind of phrases in the same way. Yeah. Uh, but it's really hard to work on when it comes to, you know, pitch control, bending, but they can add such a nice ambience to a lot of songs too that really, you know, adds something to it. And uh, the the challenge of using low-tuned harmonicas too is using them in a, in a live context, I would yeah. say, because they tend to be, you know, low. They don't cut through, do they? You, you, it's always really hard, yeah. No, they don't cut through in the same way, no. So, But but I, I really like using low, low harps. Well, it certainly works on solo stuff, doesn't it? So on, like, on your YouTube and this, this album you're talking about, I'm sure we'll, we'll hear some low harps on there will work. Yes, and I, I just want to add one, for me, important point too. It's that uh, I think I really like the quality of the honor harmonicas in the way they are tuned uh, because I have this reference in all the traditional blues recordings. I like the sound of... <laughs> that's what I like, you know? And that's the sound of a specific compromise tuning and of the brass reeds that they use. But if you use a sidle harmonica, you don't get quite the same sound. You get a different sound. It might be good for, you know, it depends on the context. If I use a sidle harmonica or a hammer harmonica, that's my point. It's yeah. just like guitar players. No one would say to a guitar player, like, I guess you only use Fender guitars and not yeah. Gibson. Yeah. I would say, are you crazy? <laughs> and there's only hard players doing stuff like that. Yeah. It's like hard players say, well, you only play hammer harmonicas, I guess, and you only play 12-bar blues. I mean, come on, give me a break. <laughs> uh, you can use different harmonicas from different producers on different stuff. It just depends on the context. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, we're in a as I said before, a sort of golden age, I think, of now, where the harmonicas are really great quality. We're very lucky these days that we've got all these great choices, yeah. It's so good, you know. So what about overblows? Do you use many overblows? I use overblows, but I mostly use them as passing notes uh, or grace notes on up-tempo songs or other stuff. I don't tend to like the embouchure on the overblows for ballads and so on. Yeah, so yeah. you like to put put them in uh, sparingly yeah. and but uh, well used. Yeah. yeah. And uh, what embouchure do you like to use? I mix. I play a mix of uh, pucker and tongue block. Uh, I prefer using tongue block over all holes uh, after hole four up to hole ten, and I use uh, pucker from hole four down to hole uh, one mainly. But it depends. I, I can mix them up, but it, it's quintessential to learn how to play with tongue block to get a proper blues embouchure. End of discussion. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and. Um... You mentioned amplifiers and things earlier on. So what about your, your microphone and amplifiers of choice? And when you're playing with a pianist and also when you're playing with a full-on blues band, what the difference is there? Lately, I've been playing, or for the last 10, 12 years, I mainly, I've been playing 90% acoustic, actually. Just playing to a uh, uh, sure micro, regular sure microphone using all kind of hand effects and so on. An SM58 for that? An SM58 for that, or a SM58 beta. And I don't like that compressed sound of playing with a like a stick microphone or dynamic microphone with, with these effect processors and so on. I'm not such, I'm not such a big fan of that. So it's do as you like to, but it's not my thing. So do you tend to play off the mic then so you can use the hand effects? Yeah, and sometimes you just need to cup the mic if you're playing with a full band or so on. You can, like a player like Jelly Roll Johnson can play beautiful stuff, subtle stuff with a hand uh, held microphone playing acoustic. So that's 
quite possible. But if I play electric, then I usually use a Fender Super or Bassman uh, or this Memphis Mini uh, amp that I have with sure brown bullet element in a static shell. Or I use an uh, I have some different aesthetics microphones, uh, usually uh, dynamic or crystal. And what about when you're recording? Do you use any particular setup for that? Just your Samsung phone, as you said earlier on, man, did the job. <laughs> now, if I'm at a, a proper studio, uh, I usually use three microphones, one to take the ambience in the room, one that I use to uh, mic up the amp, and one that I use to get my acoustic sound, and then I blend them all in a mix afterwards, you know, to get a good sound. Uh, and I prefer Neumann microphones, for example, in a, in a proper studio. But when I record things at my place, then I use a Zoom recorder, actually. I've been doing it. has quite a, it's an okay sound for acoustic yeah. harmonica. Yeah, we all like those Neumann microphones if they didn't cost quite so much money to have at home, <laughs> thousands of pounds. <laughs> so are you using condenser microphones enough in the, in the studio when you're recording in that way? Yes, sometimes. But sometimes I've been uh, using all kind of different, it depends on the studio. I did once I did some kind of black metal, really death metal project I was playing on. I played straight into the board with all kind of effects on it using a electro voice microphone that I held yeah. in my hand. And it sounded good for that kind of music. So it, it depends on the context there. When talking about effects and any effects pedals you use regularly? I have a Strymon, I think it's called Blue Sky or Big Sky or something, which is a delay and reverb pedal digital one that I really like. And I use it if I play with an electric with a band so I can, you know, mix up my sound during the <laughs> during the night. And that's uh, the effect I mainly use. I used in the 90s to dabble a bit with a uh, octave pedal after hearing Carrie Bell, but uh, it tends to get tiring after mm-hmm. one or two songs. So I don't use that much. And I don't like, uh, I'm not a big fan of, you know, auto Wawa or Wawa effect for on the harmonica i don't like that very compressed effect compressor sound on the harp uh, in general and final question richard again thanks for the time so what about your future plans and you know getting out gigging can people see you see you around gigging in norway and elsewhere I'm releasing this solo record in the spring of 2022 and then i'm gonna do some gigs in norway in the blues clubs promoting that I'm also recording, I hope, a new record with Turainar Becken uh, next year. And we're probably going to play some, uh, some some concerts, jazz clubs, uh, churches and so on with that folk music jazz concept. And I uh, also had this dream to go to one of those harmonica conventions that I've never been mm-hmm. to. <laughs> in Trossingen. Yeah. Like in Trossingen or the one that they have in, in Klingenthal, the Seidel one, or maybe the harping by the sea in the uk or something like that that's also one of my goals yeah no i've been to harping by the sea a good few times so if you want to go there yeah you might know richard taylor already but uh, yeah let me know if you come across for sure yeah i think we're all itching to travel now aren't we so i'm i'm thinking myself that one of the german festivals next year is got to be on the cards too so uh, yeah yeah maybe i'll see you there yeah, yeah i hope so so superb yeah so thank you very much richard yems for joining me on the podcast today my pleasure. It's been really nice talking to you and rambling on about harmonicas and harmonicas. That's episode 51. Thanks all again for listening. And uh, if anyone, again, wants to make a volunteer donation to help the podcast running, please check out the podcast page where you can find the details to do so. 
And finally, just handing over to Richard to play us out with some beautiful low Nordic harmonica. Over to you, Richard. Richard.